Welcome to Hope Assembly of God Online. We believe no matter the journey, there is always hope. This is a recording of our live Sunday sermon, unedited, uncut, real. And so today we're going to look at a very important concept of learning to lead from the middle. And what that means is that all of us have a boss over us. No matter how high you are in whatever position you are, we all have a boss uh, over us. And probably if we're in leadership, we have someone that is a subordinate of us. One of the things I want to say as I think of when I say people under us, I don't mean inferior in any way, but subordinate. No human is inferior, but we we are subordinates ourselves, and that's that's what I I mean by it. So we all have bosses. And we all have people that we lead, those that we want to influence above us and those that we want to influence uh, below, below us. Now, I want you to think of the worst boss that you've ever had. How many, you don't say their name. Don't say their name. But how many have had a really bad boss? That many. Uh, Pastor Roe, put your hand down. Pastor Joe, put your hand down. <laughs> Pastor Rick, put your hand down. Hurtful, hurtful uh, in that. You've all had bad bosses. Wow, I want to develop this a little bit more. Don't say their name. Don't be too specific in anything. But what, I, I wasn't expecting this, honestly. What made them a bad boss? Mean. Mean. Wow. You're not talking about Sarah, right? No. Wow, that hesitation was key, wasn't it? What makes them a bad, some, they're just mean, bad boss. Excellent. Always finding fault, never finding the good. Yeah, very good. In the back, oh, Debbie? What's that mean? They, because they were over you, they thought that they, had, they were better than you? Is that what you mean by seniority? Yep. And their own personal disposition. Yep. Micromanaging. Unethical. Yeah, that's a big one. That's a tough one. That's a tough one. John? Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. Uh, doing one thing, or saying one thing and doing... They do the very... Yeah, do the very opposite. Anybody else? Good. How many of you are a bad boss? No, no, no. Uh, we'll, let that, we'll let that go. So anyway, I thought, you know, I like to use humor to make points. So I thought I would find some, some boss jokes. When, when you're doing the online service, now we had some audience members today and I appreciate them coming, but the online service is, is weird because you don't get immediate response. But even I could tell these jokes went over like a lead balloon. <laughs> they just did not go over. I don't know if it was how I told them or they were just bad jokes. Now, in front of all of you, I'm going to know for sure because I'll be able to see your reactions. When we first started doing the online service, it's just the screen. You know, you're just staring at the screen. You don't know how it's going over. Sometimes people will write comments on there that helps. Okay, so here's some boss jokes, some boss jokes. Uh, They say dress for the job you want and not for the job you have. But my boss still didn't think that my Batman costume was appropriate work attire. Not bad. It was better, better. I said it better. And remember, said the boss, there's no I in team. 
somebody in the back of the room says, yeah, there's no you in the team either. Ooh, ooh, that's a good one. My boss told me to have a good day, so I went home. <laughs> that one's actually funny. Okay, that one's actually funny. My boss calls me the computer, not because of my calculation skills, but because I go to sleep when left unattended for 15 minutes. So, so that's good. Um, I told it, told, I told it, I told my boss that I wanted an increase in my paycheck so the next one had a larger font. <laughs> this one's good. Let's see if I can pull it off properly. Boss, sarcasm will get you nowhere in life. Me. Well, got me to the international sarcasm, sarcasm finals in Santiago. Really? No. <laughs> you get it? Yeah. Okay, good. That one lead balloon, Ray. It hit the screen and came back and hit me in the head. That's how bad it went over. What do you call the boss at old McDonald's farm? The C-I-E-I-O. No? Thanks for being loving and caring and supportive. <laughs> I, think, I think out of all of those, I like the C-I-E-I-O. I thought that was funny. I should have had you stay, sorry. But then you decide which one's good or not. So yeah, no, I know, you might have been quiet. Anyway, so listen, I wanna talk about leading from the middle. My brother Jim had a PhD uh, in international leadership and he wrote his dissertation on uh, leading from the middle. In his position, he had those above him and he had those that he was responsible for. We, we say accountable to and responsible for when you're in the middle. And most leadership takes place in the middle and the middle is very, very difficult because you don't want to undermine your boss who might not be a good boss, but you still don't want to under, under, undermine them, but you still want to be effective in, in what you're doing. And sometimes the boss makes policies and procedures that limit what you're able to do, okay? So you're in a difficult spot. And then you want to be effective with those you're trying to lead but are hindered in some way. So you don't have always the authority to make the decisions that need to be made, and yet you have to make decisions. That's what middle management is. And most of us find ourselves in, in those those positions. So we have to learn to lead from that middle position in order to accomplish sometimes what God wants us to accomplish. So I want to walk you through Nehemiah chapter 1. If you want to turn there in your Bible, I don't have it up on the screen, um, but it's, it's there from Nehemiah chapter 2. I don't know if I said chapter 2. Um, Ray, can you hand me my water? I think that one's mine. Thank you so much. Rich and Janet uh, were the audience for the online service, and they didn't laugh at the jokes either time I told them. I'm just saying. So they had to hear them again. And it didn't take Richie 15 minutes to fall asleep either. Get that? No? All right. I gave you time to find Nehemiah. There you go. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1. Watch this. Early in the following spring, in the month of Nisan, and uh, during the... 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. Okay? That's what he did. He was a, a wine taster, but that was a very important position because the kings in those days were very ruthless and cruel, and someone was always trying to get them. 
if I know my history well enough, and I could be wrong in this, I think Artaxerxes had his own brothers killed so that he could remain in power. This was not a good guy, okay? But yet Nehemiah rose to the position where the king could trust him with his life. That's what it means to be a wine taster there. It's not what some of you do on Saturdays. That's different, and that's between you and the Lord. Wow, that got quiet in a hurry, huh? They're thinking, hey, I'm doing the will of the Lord. I'm a wine taster. That might be different. Who's your favorite pastor? Okay, I had, now watch this though. This is the serious part. I had never before appeared sad in his presence. So the king asked me, why are you looking sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled, period. Stop there. To go into the king's presence sad was bad. King Artaxerxes wasn't empathetic towards whatever the difficulties Nehemiah was facing. When he saw people with a countenance come into his presence in a way that he didn't think they should appear, maybe there was something wrong. And so coming into the king's presence looking sad could, be, uh, could lead to death. Because why would you ever come into my presence looking like that? I don't want people around me that look like that. So Nehemiah going in there being sad was huge. And then it says, after that first period in, in verse 2, it said, then I was terrified. He wasn't terrified because the king was empathetic. He was terrified because the king didn't want sad people in his presence. And he was terrified. These Persian kings were impossible at best and cruel most of the time. Their word would just lead to someone's death, and it didn't even have to be for a good reason. It wasn't like there was court and there was an appellate court and all. No. If, you were, if he wanted you dead, you were dead on the spot. They would take you out and kill you. Seriously, that's how they did it. That's, why they, that's how they kept people in fear. And so looking sad in the king's presence could lead to death. They did not like subordinates being gloomy in their presence. Which leads me to one of the first things I want to talk about. As a leader, sometimes we have to lead afraid. There's never been a major decision in my life that I wasn't afraid. And some things I've been terrified over. When I left home to go to Bible school, terrified. Mama's boy, look it up, you'll see my picture. I was terrified. Leaving college, going into ministry, terrified. Leaving a stable church, going to plant a church, terrified. Leaving that stable church to come to this church, terrified. Every major decision that we've made here, terrified. You sometimes have to lead when you're afraid. In fact, some of these decisions that you have to make, you should be afraid over. We have several couples that are going to be married or getting married. Ron and Tina, um, I want to say De Silvio, but it's now Forte. Um, still getting used to that. Just got married a week or two ago. Uh, Erica and Tom are getting married in May. Uh, Jordan and Amanda are getting married in May. My son and his fiance are getting married in September. And Joe and Becky are getting married next year. I'm not sure of the date. I should know. I will know when I need to be there. But uh, they're, they're getting married. And when you're getting married, there's some fear that goes along with it. And that's okay. I'm here to tell you, you should be afraid. This is a big decision. This is a lifelong decision. But I'm also here to tell you, don't let fear stand in the way of something great that God has in store for you. 
And if I may just expound upon this, you're, you're, you're probably, if you go through the pattern, your first year is wonderful, that honeymoon period, probably maybe not that long. And, th and then you start to go in other ways and you learn more about the other person and things that annoy you more than you thought that they would and where you never argued when you were deeply in love and would just stare in each other's eyes. Now you would kill one another if you had the opportunity uh, to do that. But I can tell you that marriage just gets better with time, okay? And I don't wanna say it gets better with age because then that's gonna bring some of you back to the whole wine tasting thing again. So, hard for me to let one thing go when I get on it. So, anyway. Uh, but yeah, you should be afraid. There are a lot of things in life that you should be afraid, but that doesn't mean that you don't do it. When you know it's the right thing to do, sometimes you have to do it afraid. And don't let fear stand in the way of the best things that God has for you. And you can go through scripture and find different instances. It's mentioned, don't be afraid. They say 365 times in the Bible, one for every day. We as humans face times where we're afraid. Nehemiah, one of the greatest leaders in scripture, was afraid. Now, not only was it difficult for him to go into the king's presence and the king sensed his sadness, but watch what happens next, verse three. But I replied, so the king says, everything all right here. I was terrified, verse three, but I replied, and that but, if you put a com comma there, that's that contrast word. Even though I was terrified, I still had to do what I had to do. See, that's what leadership, okay? That's leadership. Long live the king. How can I not be sad for the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire? The king asked, well, how can I help you? Wow. With a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied, if it please the king, and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. Now, let me explain this a little bit more. Years ago, some of the bad guys in this story that opposed Israel at every turn, which we'll look at them later in this series, had written King Artaxerxes a letter and said the people of Judah are trying to rebuild these walls. And if you let them rebuild the walls, you're going to lose power and money, basically, is what they said. Okay? And so King Artaxerxes put out a decree, make those people in Judah stop building the walls. Here's what Nehemiah was doing. And this is why he was terrified. Oh, king, would you reverse your policy? Would you go before the people and acknowledge that the policy that you made then is not the same policy now? That's what Nehemiah was asking. Would you go against your own policy? Would you go against what you had established years ago? It's no wonder that Nehemiah was afraid. The king had told them to stop building. Here's Nehemiah going, says, uh, I want to rebuild. I want you to go back against your policy. And here I am standing against your decision, which could lead to death. It was no wonder he was terrified. But he wasn't as afraid of Artaxerxes as he was of God, but not in the same way. And you've got to catch this. The fear of man is a snare. 
We should live our lives. Sometimes we'll be afraid, but don't be as afraid of men as you are of God. And sometimes we make horrendous decisions because we're afraid of humanity. When I say men, men and women, then we are of God. If we fear God, we don't have to fear men. See? And Nehemiah, he was afraid of Artaxerxes, and rightfully so. But he was more afraid that he wasn't going to do what God wanted him to do. So he stood in the king's presence, sad, asking the king to reverse his own policy. The king, verse 6, with the queen sitting beside him, asked, How long will you be gone and when will you return? After I told him how long I would be gone, the king agreed to my request. Can you imagine? You go in sad because of the passion that's upon your heart, terrified you're standing before the king. Can you imagine the relief that went over Nehemiah when the king said, okay, we can do that. So Nehemiah doesn't stop there. This cracks me up. So Nehemiah asks for more. So the king said, yes, you can go. Nehemiah says, okay. I also said to the king, if it please the king, let me have letters addressed to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, instructing them to let me travel safely through their territories on my way to Judah. Okay, king, thanks for letting me go. Can I also have your seal of approval? Can I let all the people know that you're behind this? Can I let the people know that I'm here on your authority and not on my own authority? That's a big ask. Huge but there's more. It gets even better. But please give me a letter addressed to Asaph, the manager of the king's forest, instructing him to give me the timber I will need to make beams for the gates of the temple fortress, for the city walls, and for the house for myself. And the king granted these requests because the gracious hand of God was upon me. King, not only do I need you to release me, I need you to give me your authority to go against the policy you already established and I need you to pay for it. Wow. That's a big ask. Why did Nehemiah do that? Because he knew that God had called him to do this. Now I'm going to teach you something here important. And when I say vision, I'll use, I know in a corporate sense, mission and vision is sometimes different. But I'm going to use it interchangeably. Okay, vision and mission, what you want to accomplish and need to accomplish. In God's terms, the mission or vision is always confirmed by provision. Okay, the mission or vision is always confirmed by provision. And we may put it this way, if the Lord points, he'll provide. And here's my story here. It was, I don't know how many years ago now, it was probably three or four years after I got here, maybe a little bit more, I knew that we needed to build. And the Lord was putting it on my heart to build. And, and uh, we went through a long process that I won't get into. And, um, and we didn't have the money. And, and I stood before the church and said, I promise that we will not put ourselves in debt, that the only thing we can do is pay off the bank and not be able to be the church that God wants us to be. And at the time, the first building project was about $600,000. It was a big one. That was all this and that. I won't get into all the stages. of. And we didn't have the money at that time. But I knew God was leading in this direction. Well, 
as that was happening parallel to the vision and mission he had given me is that we owned property up the street on this side that they had pulled our tax exempt status from us because it wasn't being used for religious purposes, which it wasn't. And so they pulled our tax exempt and it was going to cost us thousands of dollars a year for property we weren't using. And so it wasn't a hard decision to say, well, let's sell it. And so we sold that property and his vision was confirmed through provision. Do you see how that works? And as that was going on, someone in the church, he was 90 some years old, died, and he left a third of his estate to the church. It was the first time that, and certainly in my life, and has never happened again, if any of you want to do that, you're welcome to, because we want to see the kingdom of God go on long after you're gone. I, I can't figure out why so many that served the Lord for so long left nothing for the kingdom. I don't know, that's just a question I have, but I'm not God. Left a third of his estate. Guess what? We were able to pay for the vision through God's provision in cash. And we only went $600 over budget. See, when God points, he'll provide. And that's how it's confirmed. Like, I had never been through a building project like this. I can't even use a hammer. And God called me to lead this thing and to help the church and to go. And we finished it and we celebrated. It was tremendous and awesome. And then other stages along the way. A million dollars later, every part of the church has been redone in one way or another. And we're still debt free. And we're still able to have all of these ministries and staff and everything. Because where God points, he provides. His mission is uh, uh, confirmed by provision. Now, how does that relate to you? You're not leading, leading a church. Well, if God gives you uh, something to do, he will provide. If he doesn't provide, you either wait or maybe you're wrong. But God's not. See? It might not be now. It might be later. But his provision will always come as a confirmation of the vision and mission he has given you. It's exactly what happened in Nehemiah. How did Nehemiah know he was on the right track? He went into the king and he asked, can I be released? Can I have your authority? Would you reverse your policy and would you mind paying for everything? <laughs> Let me skip through here. Oh, I'll tell you one more story. We were looking, this is, I don't know if this is before, like when you've been here so long and so much has changed, I can't remember when things happened. So I don't know if the vacating of this road was before the building or after or whatever. I don't know. I don't know. And I honestly don't care. But we wanted to have this road vacated because ultimately the plan was to have this road vacated. And I thought it included this road back here because I thought it was all one road. Come to find out it wasn't. But we had to have that all vacated, too, in a separate thing, okay? Because the ultimate goal is to get that property behind us. We don't own that. But we're going to shortly, even if we have to pull squatters' rights, because it's been 15 years. Seriously. Whenever they tore the school down, they haven't done with it, and they haven't contacted us, and we've used every means possible 
to make it happen. So we're waiting on the Lord for that. But we had it vacated. That was all part of the big plan because then no one has access to that property except us. This whole, it was the whole plan. And so we had to work within certain structures and certain neighbors. And when I talked to a certain neighbor, they had initially agreed. And I thought, oh, good, this is going to make it easier. We go through the township, get all the paperwork done. They changed their mind that they no longer agreed to let us receive this road here to have that road vacated. And I was hot. I mean, angry hair on the back of my neck sticking up. And I'm not really an angry person. There's only a couple times in life that I can remember, but I was hot. Maybe more than a couple, Dor. What's that? Oh, one particular instance. That that was your fault. You have to lead afraid sometimes. That's a story for another time. No, I'm not really an angry person. I, I just don't, I'm not really like that. It's not, I don't fly off the handle. The time with her is she stepped on a nail and she was bleeding from her foot, sitting on the steps as blood was gushing out of her foot and didn't want to go and get it looked at. That made me angry, okay? But that's it. It's the only time I can think of in 32 years of marriage. So anyway, this thing make me, made me angry and I'm, I'm walking this road. I'm walking it, more pacing it. And I wish I was saying I was offering a holy prayer, but it was more about take this person out of the equation, Lord. And it's a nice way to put it. You'll get it later. And I'm telling you, as clear as day, I felt the Lord speak to my heart and say, they're not God, I'm God. And I let it go. And guess what happened? Well, we now own that road and we own that road and we're going to own that back there because where God points, he provides. And when it's his mission, he'll make it happen. Not always when it's our mission. All right. Last story. Let me keep going. Okay. So he asks for this. And then, so I want to share with you six things. They'll be very quick. It'll be shorter than, than, than the announcements. I promise. How do we influence when we're in the middle? There are some things in Nehemiah's life that he shows us how he was able to influence this great king. Okay? The first one, loyalty. Loyalty is huge. Don't work against your boss. Work for your boss, whether they deserve it or not. Because ultimately, as believers, you're doing it as unto the Lord. It says in Corinthians, whether we eat or drink, which means everything in life, do for the glory of God. Everything you put your hand to, do for the glory of God. So even if your boss doesn't deserve it, God deserves it, and you offer loyalty. You will never reach the place of influence, whether above you or below you, if you're not a loyal person. Okay? Loyalty. Loyalty. Loyalty involves doing what you're told until you're the one making the decisions. Not illegal or immoral, but within work or home or whatever it is. I've had to do a lot of things I didn't want to do. Okay? That's the way it works. <laughs> I don't run into this anymore, but I have in years past. You know, people knew exactly how to pastor this church. Problem was, they weren't the pastor of the church. And so they had two options. You either go along or you go start your own church. I don't know what to tell you. Knock yourself out. You have pastoring all figured out. Me, I'm still learning. 
Me, I'm still making it up as I go along. But since you have it figured out, your best bet would be to go start your own church. Well, I'd have to quit my job. Well, I don't know what to tell you. I left my family, went to Bible school. You know, pay your dues, go plant a church. Loyalty. No one, by the way, has ever taken me up on that. Okay? They want the position, but not the pain that goes along with it. Number two, tact. There's a word we don't use much, tact. Don't be rude. Don't fly off the handle for no reason. And if you are angry, take it to the Lord first. Don't go barging into your boss's office yelling and screaming. That doesn't work. Okay? It doesn't work. I don't care what the situation is. You put the other person on a defense. Be smarter and wiser than that. Not that there aren't times that you need to go talk to the boss, but you talk to them uh, in a respectful way. It's not whether they deserve it or not. Aren't you glad God doesn't treat you the way you deserve? Number three, honesty. Speak the truth. Don't exaggerate or manipulate for your own purposes because people see right through that. Nehemiah stood before this powerful king and was honest. Here's what I need. Here's what it's going to take to get it done. He was honest with the king, and he must have been honest with the king long before that, or else he would have never become the, the wine, the cupbearer. Okay? The fourth thing in the middle of all of this is prayer. It says that he, this is a Sabella paraphrase, he threw up a quick prayer to God. And he didn't go into the boss's office and kneel down like he would at an altar and say, oh, great God, you need to work in my boss. No, just as it, probably in his mind. He said, Lord, I need your help. And the Lord helped him. One person called it a prayer-o-gram. I'll call it an insta-prayer. An insta-prayer. Just real quick. God, I need your help in this matter. The fifth thing is planning. He went into the boss. He went into the king with a plan already in mind. Don't go to your authorities without a plan. Present them with the plan what the vision is, and how it can be accomplished. That always works better than there's a problem. I'll give you a little secret. I'll say it night. I'm going to try to say it nicely. Anybody can see the problem. What bosses want is a solution, okay? Anybody can look and see all the problems. That's not what they need. They need people that can find a solution. All right? Be that person by planning, coming in, organized, and you'll have a better shot. Number six, dependence on God. Prayer and dependence of God does not minimize the other aspects. One of the things I'll show you in Nehemiah is the spiritual and the practical. They carried a shovel and a sword. They prayed and they prepared. They didn't say, well, we're not going to carry a sword. We're just going to trust the Lord to keep us safe. No, they were wise in what they did. Dependence on God or saying that is not an excuse for not doing what you need to do. Okay? Dependence on God to accomplish the vision, the mission, the goals. Lastly, hear this. God has placed you where he wants you to accomplish great things for his glory. Well, they would always ask, I remember when I went for my ordination interview, where do you see yourself in five years? I have no idea. However many years later, 
I still don't know what the next five years has. I, I don't know. Where do I see myself? I, I don't know. Because I'm not God. I understand why they asked that question, but I don't know. What I want to do day, today is serve the Lord. And for some odd reason, he has shepherded me to this point, and he'll do the same in your life. God has placed you where you're at right now. And where you're at right now won't be where you're always at. Not just work, but in stage of life things. You won't always be where you're at. But wherever you're at right now, God wants to use you to accomplish great things for his glory. And so look what the king did for Nehemiah, verse 9. When I came to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, I delivered the king's letters to them. The king, I should add, Nehemiah writes this. Oh, I forgot to tell you this part. The king had also sent along army officers and horsemen to protect me. So can you release me? Can you give me your authority? Can you pay for it? And the king says, yep, I'll do all that. And I'll send an army with you so you'll be safe. Isn't that amazing? When I read that and as I've been preparing for that this week, I couldn't help but think of this verse. Maybe you've heard it. God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, more than we could ask. Did Nehemiah ask for the army to go with him? No. But God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, more than we could ask or more than we could ever imagine. And he can do the same in your life. But, exclamation point, exclamation point, verse 10, when, but when Sanballat, the Honorite, and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard of my arrival, they were very displeased that someone had come to help the people of Israel. Not everyone will be happy about the mission that God has placed in your life. That mission always is accompanied by opposition. That's next week. Come back for that. Let me talk to you here, and then we're going to receive communion together. And I think this is what I want to say. You can do it. What that it is is different for all of us. But you can do it because God is with you and he's not against you. I can do all things through Christ that gives me strength. And whatever that it is, is either going to be the thing that stops you from accomplishing great things for God, or it's the springboard to accomplish greater things for God. That it will either stop you or it will propel you forward. But I'm here to tell you today, at the end of everything that I've said, you can do it because God is with you and he's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, more than we could ask, more than we could imagine. That's why we give him glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you for listening to Hope Online Podcast. For more information about Hope Assembly of God, go to www.godgivesyouhope.com or download our app in the App Store.